God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Nice light reading this morning, all three of those lessons, right? Anyone else want to come up and preach? I'm happy to share. No? One of the images that I love, actually, in those lessons that we had, though, is the image of the potter and the wheel. Uh, if you've ever tried to throw potter, you know that it's very, very difficult. It's definitely not a skill of mine. I tried to learn at some point, and I, I just don't have sort of the hand-eye coordination to do it. But I was thinking this week as I looked at that text that it's not exactly a day at the beach for the clay, is it? It's sort of this lump that gets kind of thrown on the wheel, and then it spins around at various speeds. It gets pushed and pulled and sort of squished and directed and guided. And then when the potter isn't happy, the potter crushes it down and starts over again. Not a great day for the clay, but an interesting image for sure. Jeremiah is trying to tell Israel that they are the clay that God is trying to shape. And we know that to be true across scripture. Israel is invited into a special relationship with God to be a light to the nations, to be the, the nation through which God saves every other nation. Israel is intended by their special relationship with God to show the rest of the world how to live. And the way that they do that is by living into the law, the law that teaches them to live in right relationship with God and with each other. It's the law that tells them how to do everything in their day-to-day -day lives, everything from eating to sleeping to talking to people to figuring out debates and jobs and money. It's intended to lead them into abundant life. And like the potter, it should mold Israel into something that is lovely, something that is useful, something that after the shaping and after the firing, after the high temperature pressure, does something good. The warning of this text from Jeremiah is that God is displeased with the fact that Israel is not sort of living that way. God is frustrated. God feels like God has given them the law and all the things to sort of bring them into right relationship and instead of focusing on each other, instead of building a society that is just and kind and faithful and righteous and honest, they're kind of squabbling amongst themselves, not worshiping God the way they're supposed to and definitely not loving their neighbor, not creating a society that is just and equal and merciful and kind. So the challenge of this text from Jeremiah is that God is very clearly saying, if you won't do it, I will take the resources and turn them into something else. I will find another way. I will make something else, like the potter who decides on what good thing comes next. And in many ways, we know that that is what happens with Jesus. With time and pressure, and temperature, God creates a beautiful vessel that saves the whole world and invites the rest of us to be part of that process and part of that saving. Jesus is the ultimate sort of vessel that the potter makes with the clay. He takes on humanity and comes to live with us so that someday we might know what divinity looks like as we live with God. Sort of a trade-off there. The hard part, though, is that Jesus is a little difficult, too, this morning. 
In the gospel, he would not win any marketing awards for the way that he is presenting his movement. You wouldn't vote for him, you wouldn't pick him, you wouldn't buy whatever it was he was selling if he came to you with this sales pitch, would you? No, no I don't think so. It's important to know that in the Greek, the word for hate is not hate the way that we think, so that helps a little bit. The Greek word is more like when we reject something or we refuse something. So he's not talking about hate in the same way as you know, that sort of vitriolic, intense feeling that we have. That's not what he means. But what he does mean is that if we follow him, we do that sometimes at the expense of the relationships closest to us or of the other things that we think make us who we are. Now, in the Roman world, life was very codified. It was all very, very clear where you stood and where you sat, who you could talk to and who you couldn't. And some of those structures are exactly what Jesus talks about in the gospel. One of them was very much your biological family. Another was your sort of wealth and power, your possessions, the ways in which you navigated the world in terms of power, privilege. Jesus is saying is that the road to follow him and to live this sort of loving life, to be part of the vessel that saves the rest of the world, is not an easy path. And it's not for him either. It's an exceedingly difficult path for him, one that ends very painfully. And there's good news after that, of course, but it's not an easy road for him either. And so the invitation of this text is to consider our priorities. What Jesus wants is to be first. And for us to understand that in this movement, it is not our relationships or our place in the family or our place in society or our gender or anything else, actually, that we have created. Those things are all artificial. The only thing that matters is whether or not we believe, whether or not we love Jesus and choose to try to follow him. That is the only criteria for citizenship in this movement. And this is important in the epistle. And I want to explain that story from Paul a little bit because I think it's a little confusing. And what Paul is doing is exactly what Jesus is suggesting. Paul writes this letter to a friend of his called Philemon. And Philemon is a leader in the church at Colossae. So he is a Roman. He's a citizen. He has tremendous wealth and power. And he's the patriarch of a Roman household, which means that he also owns slaves. And Onesimus is one of his slaves. And Paul tells us in the letter that Onesimus has done something bad. We, we don't know what it was exactly. He could have stolen something or cheated on something, but he's done something wrong. And out of fear, he runs away and he asks Paul for help. And in the process of being with Paul, who is in prison, Onesimus finds his faith. He finds a relationship with Jesus. And so Paul writes back to his friend Philemon and says, this is your brother. Embrace him as your brother. And it's so nice that Caroline read that so nicely. <laughs> but Paul, I think, is being a little snarky here. He literally says to them, I gave you life. I taught you about Jesus, so I gave you eternal life, and I don't charge that against you. So how can you charge this against me, or anyone else for that matter? In this letter, Paul is 
systematically dismantling the idea that one person can own another. And that structure was inherent to the Roman Empire and to what life was like at the time. So it's an example of the fact that Jesus, when he calls us into this movement, invites us to dismantle those things that separate us, that allow us to think that we're better than somebody else, that allow us to think that we are defined by things external to us, or frankly defined by anything other than our faith and our desire to follow. Jesus talks about those things in the gospel because what he really wants us to do is detach from the importance of them. Not to love the people that we're with, of course he wants that, but instead to find our identity squarely in being disciples and being followers. And the good news about that is that if we choose it, then we become part of this clay that originally was just this kind of lump of earth and water, but has the ability to become something much more noble than that, the vessel by which the entire world is saved. The good news is that God is still sitting at the wheel as the potter trying to throw us. <laughs> and sometimes these texts, which are really radical and have really hard things in them for us to hear, that, that is what they do. They actually throw us. But the invitation is to really sort of sit with that and to think about some of the questions this text raises, like, what is it you need to own? What structures around you, what pieces of our society do you think define you? What relationships, what barriers are preventing you from being shaped the way that God would have you be shaped? From the beginning of time, it's been true that God had this plan of salvation for all people, and that all of us were intended to be a part of it. So what is it that is preventing you from being part of that clay, from being part of that vessel? What is it that you need to detach from in order to reattach to the truth that you are God's beloved and so is everybody else? This week, I hope that you will consider that you too are still on the wheel and that God's hands are on you trying to shape you and mold you and bring you into that fullness of life that God always wanted for God's people. But the only way that we can have it together is if we learn to let love lead us into it. If we learn to follow Jesus down that road where nothing else is more important and where we are willing to reject the things that lead us away, even if we find we might sometimes be rejected in return. How are you part of the clay? How are you part of the vessel that is intended to change the world? And what is holding you back? Amen. <laughs>